1: Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. My name is Seth Payne. I played in the NFL for ten years. Today my friend Drew Hodgden is going to join me. He played in the NFL for a few years, also played collegiately at Arizona State. We're going to discuss Urban Meyer and what I think are some irrational arguments. Against why he might succeed in Jacksonville. Maybe he doesn't work out in Jacksonville, but it's not going to be for the reasons a lot of people are throwing out there. And then I interview Gary Myers. He's the author of Brady versus Manning. There's a whole lot about Tom Brady. We're going to talk about Brady's matchup versus Drew Brees this weekend and how this game and these playoffs might affect both these players' legacies. Please subscribe. Leave a five-star rating. That would be awesome. I genuinely and truly appreciate those. And now, just enjoy the show. Because <laughs> you have a real job, Drew. I'm just gonna I'm gonna lead you through this, and I want you to shoot from the hip, like you are, <laughs> like you are a television sports personality that is uninformed and shoots from the hip. So Oh, perfect. Good. Yeah. So
2: every every single one.
1: <laughs> well, well, okay. Not even That's, That wasn't fair. That was Even the fair. more no, even the more informed ones. Like I like Dan Orlovsky a lot. Um, but I I was looking at an old clip from him. I say old clip from 2019. So Lamar Jackson was already a thing, and somebody was asking him about whether Urban Meyer would work in the NFL. And I'll do this. I went through and I kind of compiled some of the objections to why Urban Meyer won't work. There's a whole lot of hot takery out there about why Urban Meyer won't work. Right. And I, frankly, yeah, he might be a disaster, but I think it might really, really work out. I think he could be, he could be a Jimmy Johnson type who was a hard-ass dude that had a capacity to deal with different types of guys and different characters and different legal legal issues. But anyway, the one that Orlovsky said that I was kind of sitting there, with my jaw dropped as I'm listening to it was he said that urban Meyer's scheme won't work in the NFL because it relies too much on the quarterback run. And it felt like such an old man, the 2011 take, you know, it felt like a, it felt like a pre Russell Wilson, you know, and and Russell Wilson's developed to a guy that does not depend or rely on his legs nearly as much. But as you sit here now and, and watch Josh Allen this year, where the run is a big part of what they do. So I went back and I looked at, okay, JT Barrett in 2017, his last year at Ohio State, he had 165 attempts in 14 games. Lamar Jackson this year had 159 attempts in 15 games. Right. And and I don't <laughs> think that, um, you know, that, that actually, when you factor in all the ways they compile stats and everything and how they do the sacks in college, JT Barrett is actually probably running fewer times per game um than Lamar Jackson in some respects. Uh so I don't I I also I don't see how people think that Urban Meyer is going to be too dumb to adapt his offense and understand that he can't do all the exact same things in the NFL that he has to tweak it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean I, it's definitely selling Urban Meyer short. A guy who's clearly proven that he knows how to coach and has had some success if you just judge by multiple national championships, which I feel like that probably counts. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like, a, you know, yeah, there's, some like cloud, there's some cloud there's some
1: cloud offensive coordinator out there right now yeah. who because he's running a pro style system, people think is more qualified to be a head coach in the NFL well, than a guy who's <laughs> a proven head coach. Yeah,
2: I mean, I guess devil's advocate. I mean to, in to sort of bolster, I guess, what Orlovsky might be saying, which is, is not without any merit, I guess, obviously, is just that, you know, he, Urban Meyer, clearly, as all head coaches, it, it probably in your experience, that has an ego, and they're probably very glued to their own system and their own experience and what's gotten them there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what may have been kind of the death of Chip Kelly, to some extent, is that, it's hard for them to get away from it. And so the benefit that he had in college, especially at a place like Ohio state is at quarterback. He had guys that had such superior ability over just about anybody else. I mean, even against the Alabamas of the world, I mean, they're probably, you know, at least on par with anyone who's the most premier talent on the other side of the ball. And that's just almost, almost never the case. Yeah. in the NFL barring coaching a team that has Lamar Jackson and one you're, or two other guys. You're recruiting, so that's your kind your of recruiting your your recruiting
1: ability doesn't help you nearly as much in the NFL it, right, as it Because right, the best right. way to recruit a player in the NFL is to wave a big wad of cash at him. <laughs> like, like, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, or,
2: or be horrible for two years. Yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. yeah. <laughs> well, it yeah, for the for the yeah, the only way to recruit a young yeah. guy is to suck. Um <laughs> to and just grab them. And then, versus and then give him no choice. But I, I do think that the big X factor is gonna be okay, how well does he motivate his players in right. the NFL cuz I know and it is easy to it's easy to have the argument and I think it's a valid argument that hey NFL players aren't going to respond to his hard ass ways and they probably won't which is again why I think that he has to tweak his style and Urban Meyer has a, a degree in psychology. He considers himself a student of human motivation. I, I've listened to a bunch of his leadership podcasts over the last few days. Oh, interesting. And, and you got to remember, he's a good recruiter. So he's got a good way of, of selling you on this stuff. Like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm listening to these <laughs> yeah. I'm listening to these leadership podcasts. It's like, you Urban Meyer needs to be a CEO of a company right now.
2: <laughs> Someone's got to hire this guy. Is he? Does he even have a job? Oh, he has three jobs. Okay. Give him a fourth.
1: Yeah, uh, how about that? That's always my favorite thing about football coaches—is like a football coach uh, going to tell uh, a CEO who's in charge of like twenty thousand people, right. hey, man, No, no, no. <laughs> this is how you do your job. <laughs> totally, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. But the CEOs want it. It's true. Like it's good yeah. stuff. They well, love it. They get sucked in. When I listen to these college coaches, we just did the Bear Bryant Awards, so uh, we talked to Tom Allen, the guy from Indiana. We talked to Dabo Sweeney. We talked to Jimbo Fisher. We talked to—is uh, it Jamie Chadwick? He's the Coastal Carolina coach. Oh yeah. After each one of these interviews, Drew, I wanted to run through a wall. Of like course. I was just—I was yeah. like, "Oh, I'll, I'll come play for you, coach. I'll do yeah. it." it, it They—they're just really good at it. So does that shtick work in the NFL? Not to the same degree, but uh, where I go back to Jimmy Johnson and what players who have played for Jimmy Johnson tell me is that he he wasn't really bright on the X's and O's. It's not like he was an idiot, but that wasn't his calling card. Mm-hmm. His calling card was that he knew exactly how to tweak each guy. And it wasn't, and, and in listening to Urban Meyer, and when he talks about leadership and motivation, that's something he's very attuned to. He understands that every guy is different and you gotta listen and you gotta figure out exactly how each guy works. That's where I, I'm really up for the experiment and seeing exactly how he's able to apply that to the NFL. Because I think it's, he's not Tom Coughlin. I think he's got a much more, he might not have what feels like a human touch when he coaches his team, but he is much more dialed into how human beings operate and how to get the most out of them.
2: I, I'd i be interested to hear what you think about this too, because to, to your point, one of the things that was... I, I wasn't fortunate enough to have this, this experience in my uh, horrendous tenure in, in Houston um, or, or even outside of there. But the the lack of focus that I actually noticed a lot of coaches have, you know, head coaches or all throughout the assistant staff to doing exactly what you said, which is adjusting how they coach to get the best out of each individual player, because they're still human beings. There's there are people who respond coaching and stimulation differently across the board and a lot of coaches you know at the nfl they completely take it for granted because the excuse always is you're a professional
1: right you're you're a professional yeah
2: so you're expected to and it's you know i get that and and your motivation level should be there you're going to show up and and you're going to give 10 out of 10 effort theoretically every single day because you're getting paid for it but at the end of the day that you're still a human being who's you're expected to be focused and dialed in to different you know expectations and situations that aren't going to be the same for everybody across the board and i never felt like when we were in houston that any of the coaches there kubiak is a little bit of an outlier because i really liked him and and kyle and some of those guys and what they were doing there i think they kind of got it i think kyle sort of got it maybe some of the younger guys do but a lot of that staff they didn't give a shit about what you're feeling what not i don't even mean like an emotional sensitive kind of way i just mean how you respond to what they're asking you to do and any kind of nuance there was no it was very just like cut and dry we don't really care what your style is just do it and i'm like you're kind of missing maybe some potential
1: there to well, figure out how though, to get like, the most. I think you're, you're exactly right to bring that up. That I, I think sometimes coaches just assume that that part's going to be there because you're a professional, but it's like in any, it's in like in any profession yeah. that people are getting paid, there's still varying levels of motivation. And and that also one thing I see is people saying, Hey, Urban Meyer knows how 18 to 22 year olds tick, but he doesn't know mm-hmm. how adults work. And I would say to that, 23 year olds are not fully developed human beings yet. You know your brain doesn't mm. stop maturing until you're 25 years old. And there are a lot of young players in any sport where you go and you see you see guys mature. And sometimes sometimes that critical first two or three years of their career, the guys that don't mature fast enough are the ones that roll out. Some of the other guys either because they're so talented Um, They they get away with it or because they mature and grow up real quick or they're already mature. Those are the guys that have the edge. And that's and that's frankly, I think, why I don't know what percentage of busts are just because of simple maturity. But part of that is it. Like some guys just they don't necessarily know how to take. they're, They're not accountable for their own actions. They don't necessarily know exactly how to to adhere to a schedule and all that. So I think that there is more of a place for Urban Meyer in the actual Tutelage of like young adults and helping them grow up than than people realize, but that brings me to one of the other objections of Urban Meyer when it comes to when it comes to guiding young men and <laughs> uh, bringing them up to be upright, upstanding citizens. Oh yeah, he, he didn't do the best job of it all the Minor time. Minor
2: deficiencies. Look, look. Yeah.
1: Tebow was a pretty good kid when he got there. Right. Uh, Aaron yeah. Exactly. Hernandez, I don't know. Jury, jury's out. That's a. <laughs> So let's see. That was a joke about when he him. when he walked yeah. away from Florida, oh, the jury's out. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. When he walked away from Florida, there had been more than thirty player arrests in six seasons. Oh. And In you know, at Ohio State, there was the whole incident where he probably mm. didn't do enough to intervene in Zach Smith, the assistant coach, who had alleged domestic violence. That was a there. He's had some messy stints at both stays. Right. And again, I guess I see people bringing this up as something that's not going to work out in the NFL and I'm I'm not so sure about that because for them if 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 there are players with disciplinary issues in the NFL it doesn't get painted as oh wow the head coach is not being the guardian of these young men that they need that he needs to be
2: now well he's not the cultural guardian or the ethical you know like barrier between all of those players and the decisions they make right. at all the times. I yeah. mean the NFL itself as a league does a lot of that policing. Yeah. And, and beyond that it doesn't all fall on his shoulders, right?
1: And it's gotten the, the actual discipline issues off the field have gotten like really minimal in the nfl i think part of it's ride sharing i think part of it is the tyranny yeah. of social media like the, the, the big, bro, big brother big <laughs> brother is always watching yeah. yeah like totally. it's just you, know, you can't do anything think about yeah. this stuff i don't know what happens on dance floors anymore i haven't been there but it used to get pretty damn crazy and yeah. you just you, you right. can't do that stuff anymore it's gonna end up on a video so I yeah. think people. i think they behave themselves better and, and frankly drew the video games are better like they just guys spend more time socializing by playing video get- video games together remotely and everything, and I, yeah. I don't I don't think he is going to have to worry about it as much. And when there are issues, it's not going to be the blowback of I can't believe you let this happen to this nineteen year old.
2: It's just hard. It's hard. I guess it's hard to envision a scenario where the reason why Urban Meyer isn't successful coaching in the NFL is because so many of the players have disciplinary problems. Yeah, like, that's just like a a weird scenario for me to picture that being like the main problem. And it, If anything, I would
1: say like in this day and age, a lot of these coaches don't really know or understand how to handle discipline issues or guys that have the guys mm-hmm. that have off field issues. It, it feels like more and more, a lot of head coaches just say like, all right, we'll get them out of here. We can't deal with this Or I don't want to have the patience yeah, for it.
2: Like we're just going to trade away our best receiver and then eventually <laughs> yeah, disenfranchise yeah. our quarterback. And then eventually frustrate our hall of fame defensive tackle. Like, some, yeah, yeah
1: I, I, the, the one thing I'll say about Jacksonville, cause I played in Jacksonville, I think sometimes I see it characterized as a soft media market because it's small. So people assume, right. oh, it just must be a soft media market. The other thing too, is people nationally don't realize that just because they're not talking about Jacksonville doesn't mean that there's not a lot of heat locally. So like Jacksonville, Jacksonville could have drafted Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Instead, they drafted Leonard Fournette just as egregious, if not more egregious than what Chicago did. But Chicago is (laughs) Chicago, you know, and people talk about Trubisky for 45 minutes out of every hour and just kind of let Jacksonville be in the national media on ESPN and whatnot on the local side, I don't know what it's like right now, but when I was there, what you had in Jacksonville was, it's a small market, but it's an NFL team. So there are a lot of good writers that go through there and kind of, that's their jumping off point. Mm-hmm. So um, I can think of Tanya Ganguly, who now covers the Lakers for in, in LA, the, uh, Pete Prisco, you know, who's one of CBS's, CBS Online's main guys. And a few other writers that have gone on to national gigs, they kind of dig. And there's only, there's only one team in that town. So that part of it could perhaps end up being an issue. Um If Urban Meyer handles the market, though, and has a good relationship with uh, all the local, with the writers, but then also, uh, you know, have a good relationship with the local authorities and whatnot. You want to be yeah. sure you're getting the phone call sure. before anybody else. But the, the one thing that colleges coaches have, in college that they don't have the NFL when it comes to the media is that college writers, like (laughs) they, their lifeline is the college program and without the access and everything, they just, they're stuck in this little world in a lot of places where Mm -hmm. the the head football coach can pretty much tell them how to do their jobs and you better shut up and take it. Uh, It's not going to be like that in Jacksonville. So we'll see. One of the and, and that would tie into one of the other arguments was that Urban Meyer is just not used to losing, and that in the NFL you lose a lot. I, yeah, I, I guess. The, well, what people said is that when he loses, he takes it hard. Like mm. where, like the kid, like the kid that when he's sixteen, you say, all right, at some point, son, you're gonna have to learn how to take a loss and move on. Right. Urban Meyer apparently is like that sixteen year old kid, so.
2: I well in his defense he's had so few opportunities. Yeah to, to learn that, right? I mean he's how many times did he even lose? The I feel like the entirety when he was I know when he was at Utah you know way back when he was really building that program, he I'm sure he lost, you know, a handful. He, of came, times, but he came in
1: pretty fast, actually. I it mean, was like, yeah, he
2: got that thing moving, you know. And then at Florida, I feel like he lost like two games or something, and it was the same as you know during his tenure at Ohio State. So, I mean, you know, it's it's there's it's a good point. It's but good in point. the
1: NFL, like even Bill Belichick is going to lose four or yeah, five right. games a year, right, yeah. on average, or at least three games a year, except for in the really, really good years. Um, I don't know that. That feels like you're trying so hard to take a, a huge positive and turn it into a negative. I agree. And I don't. I don't know what to do with it. I just feel. I feel dirty even saying it. You need him
2: to, uh, no, I'm going to need him to be 10 percent less competitive and more emotionally balanced. Yeah. To really feel confident that this guy is not going to have a complete meltdown. It's yeah, like he, yeah, okay. He's they, never they had, losing. That's all okay, I got
1: there. Drew, Drew at Bowling Green, his first head coaching stint, he was eight and three, and then nine and three. Then he went to Utah. Came in very low expectations. Went ten and two. Went to the Liberty Bowl. Uh, then went twelve and zero the next year. <laughs> and right. Then, God, and they then, went twelve and zero. Yeah. Then the next year he goes to Florida. I mean, 2010. Right. The last year there they were eight and five, and that was when everything was uh, was kind of a mess, obviously. But then other than that, so he goes to Ohio State. Never lost more than two games in a season. It's it's rare the number of seasons in which let's see he God, had- he
2: had just phenomenal success at every single.
1: From, from utah from utah on he only had two three three seasons in which he had more than two losses like that is yeah. that is astounding and that's so that's from 2003 to 2018 with just one year off in there um between florida and ohio state he never right. he, he only lost more than two games three times in that entire stint so He's accustomed now, but, but this is again, where I feel like people act like, because he usually won that many games that he's completely unaccustomed to, to losing. He went eight and five at Florida. Now yeah, that was when he stepped down because of the health issues, mm-hmm. but in 2007 at Florida, his third year, they went nine and four. So, um, you know he extrapolate that out that's still a winning season but by his standards that was probably the worst thing he ever did he probably flogged himself when he went home at night
2: he also just doesn't give off the same like childish mania that some of the other coaches that you see sort of in that space do like yeah. some of them seem un- unwell to me and like <laughs> yeah. he doesn't see, he doesn't really seem unwell to me he seems like you know he's 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 managed to be like professional, and you said, I mean, he's into the psych- psychologicals. So I'm interested to see what he does. I mean, I'm really interested to see what he ends up doing on offense and what that whole team ends up looking like. And I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting.
1: It'll be uh, yeah, and um, I think he's gonna tweak his offense. I mean, look, Cliff Kingsbury yeah. twe- had to tweak his offense, and he's still in the process of learning it. Um, Urban Meyer knows a lot of people in the NFL, and uh, he's smart enough to know. Oh, and that's the other thing. Yeah. He's going to have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. It, it, like, it's not like Urban Meyer alone is going to be up there dictating everything. Or at least I assume he is. Maybe by the time I put this podcast out, he'll have announced that he's going to just, I don't know, have a staff of three or something. But he's he is very much like capable of doing that. Chip Kelly, when he brought came in, Chip Kelly hired a bunch of coaches that he didn't even know. You know, Jeff Stoutland is the offensive line coach up in Philadelphia. He hadn't worked Mm -hmm. with him or anything, but he was the best coach that was available. He got him from Alabama. And I think that the the biggest thing with Kelly, you know, Drew, is I I did this a couple years ago. I went through and I looked at all of his defenses from when he was in the NFL, both at Philadelphia and San Francisco. His defense were his defenses were, I believe, always in the top three in number of snaps played. So oh, wow! by the, end, cause yeah. that up-tempo, up-tempo, even if you're yeah. scoring points or defense yeah. is right back out there. And by the end of the year, and that's a big difference with, that's a big mm-hmm. difference with grown men playing 16 games in the NFL is that by the end of yeah. the year, a lot of those defensive guys were just gassed in the, well, you know, and it always
2: felt like it was the same way for him in college too. I, it, if there was ever a coach, too, I wanted that experiment to work. I mean, I was excited to kind of see if that Chip Kelly thing could actually take off somehow and get like a real foothold in the NFL. Yeah. But
1: you know, it kind of—he didn't uh, find a way to balance it enough, I guess. The first time I saw them play in person, I was kind of freaked out by how fast the tempo was. Yeah, like you just—you would kind of looked down to check a text, and you looked up, and they—they'd they'd run a play. It was yeah. really—it was almost eerie just how quick and efficient they were, and I—you could see as a defensive coordinator. Just even trying to get your plays in and everything—it must have just been a nightmare. If you're stuck out there with the the wrong personnel out there, I—I oh, yeah. uh, don't know. It's a shame. I, you know, I'm sure Chip Kelly thinks about it every now and then, like how he could do it differently.
2: Well, and it still left a mark, too, right? I mean, New England was doing it for a while too. I mean, it's not like teams weren't weren't you know implementing it in a thoughtful way. They they've just knew selectively that like,
1: up-tempo. like they've just right, they go exactly. blitzkrieg. Yeah. And they always had before, yep. but I think it's like the 4-minute mile kind of within a few yep. within a couple of years of Roger Bannister breaking the 4-minute mile barrier a bunch of people had and I think when they saw the Eagles operate at that tempo, they realized, oh, okay, we're kind of we, we we can get yeah, we moving. can
2: do we can get the snap off within you know seven seconds between plays if we have to.
1: That was the other thing, real quick, was the fact that the Jaguars play two games a year in London. So I don't know how that would be different for Urban Meyer than anywhere else. But if Urban Meyer, um, I don't know if he hates, maybe he hates the he British. He hates the know. British. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can see he's a good patriot. He understands <laughs> he Understands what they right. stand for, with that dirty whore queen of theirs. Yeah. <laughs> he hates,
2: he's always been very anti-monarchy. I think we all I, know that about Urban.
1: I got to be careful, by the way, because I looked at like 4% of my downloads were from the UK not too long ago. I might have to bleep out. What I'm going to bleep out what I said too? about the Queen. What's that?
2: What are your attribute Is that because we only um, have like nine? I
1: total? think it's because <laughs> I no 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 no. I, I think it's because <laughs> Thanks, I go Samuel. I go on uh, the NFL around the NFL podcast every now and then. Uh, the, I I like those guys a lot. They bring me right. in whenever there's some kind of controversy, and I always get really positive feedback from their listeners. And I know they have a lot of listeners in the UK. Oh, the NFL awesome. the NFL has a uh, just a you know a, a growing listenership there, or Do, viewership there
2: is it growing over there they really i mean not to Whoa. deviate too much okay. but like is it That's, well okay. I, I always wonder that I, yeah. i'm dying to see
1: that i mean this is this is what you have to consider so in the uk there are actually quite a few nfl fans you know yeah. probably i don't know if it'd be enough but think about it it's the entire nation that the their their team would be in London. So it would be the yeah, whole nation's team. It wouldn't just right. be like uh, the Gloucestershire or something. Um, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> got it. I don't know yeah. if that's a place in yeah. England or not. Uh, <laughs> Probably. But there are 740 million people in Europe. The thought is that they would consider that, like Europe would consider that their team. And it's really, really easy to get to anywhere in right. Europe real quick. So I think what they think is even if – even if you've only got a, a couple hundred thousand fans in in Italy or what have you, a good portion of them are going to want to go to a game every now and then and, uh you know, take a quick trip on the. Well, yeah, but
2: then the expectation, I guess, for that team is that they're just going to be an additional player like in the Eastern Division and just own. I mean, that's just a it's a. It's interesting. I mean, that's a rough sell. I just still feel like I, I, I would have assumed that what you what they would do is they'd have to just build out another division. Is what I thought they would do is have like a whole
1: European division or something.
2: Yeah, maybe like another three or four teams. Oh, you know, and have them. Oh. You know, be. What
1: if you did a whole separate? You, what if you did a separate league and you called it NFL Europe?
2: Exactly. That, so now you're they're getting and you're, somewhere. And
1: maybe you take some of the up and coming guys. Exactly. To, and then eventually, you know,
2: if it's easier to kick the ball there because of where you are, and then you just make the ball round. And then before you know it.
1: Yeah, I, don't know. I, uh, I, I miss NFL Europe just because I miss the stories guys would have uh, coming back. Cause, cause a lot of, a lot of guys in the league over there, and the, they'd be in some small village <laughs> in the UK and right. nobody ever, some of those young women had never seen a guy like this before, and no. they were they were popular. They were. Popular yeah, I mean, you love like the guys
2: that went from like Des Moines, yeah. and then they were like in like a uh, Hamburg. They yeah, just, like oh, oh yeah, yeah.
1: They're <laughs> going to absolutely. We lost him the in world. the red light district. Oh yeah, the linemen for sure. All right, I'm going to cut it off there because honestly, it kind of degraded from that point on. Uh, we did get it back on track, and Drew and I ended up discussing which industries are going to rebound after the pandemic is over. And we're going to throw that and another couple of non-football discussions into another episode that I'll put out a little bit later, either today or tomorrow. Because we want to be sure that the people that come here for football can hear football. And if you want to hear some more just fun... Uh, off topic stuff, you've got that available to you as well. So, right now, I will jump into our interview with Gary Myers about Tom Brady as he and Drew Brees face off in the playoffs. I say jump in because something happened to the audio in the first part of the interview. I lost about seven or eight minutes. I want to jump in mid phrase as he's answering a question about the perception by some people, including some people within the Patriots organization that thought that perhaps Bill Belichick had more to do with Tom Brady's success and that maybe they could have had just as much success with multiple other quarterbacks, which frankly, I find that a laughable uh, just an absolutely objectionable, disgusting opinion. And yet sometimes because people want credit and because they feel like they're not getting as much credit as they should, sometimes they want to say that it's the system or they want to say that this quarterback had just better tutelage than everybody else. So we'll jump in right in the middle of him answering that question and then take it from there. Gary Myers, I highly encourage you to buy the book, Brady versus Manning, and check out his podcast, The Goat.
3: Yeah. First of all, they didn't make the playoffs this year, which was an aberration, because when you win 11 games, you usually make the playoffs. But the second thing is, Matt Castle won 11 games with almost the identical team that Brady won 16 with the year before. So if you want to tell me there's a five-game difference between Brady and Castle, yeah, I'll buy that. Five games is a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: you know who won 11 games with with uh, Matt Castle also was uh, Todd Haley. So... <laughs> I think it was on it. Matt, a-
3: Matt Castle, when he first, I'll tell you this. I remember, like, I think the second game, maybe his first start after Brady got hurt, but the second, so it would been the second game of the 08 season, was Matt Castle versus Brett Favre when Brett was playing for the Jets. And I was amazed by Castle. I'm going, this guy, you can tell he was Brady's backup, and he learned so much from him. He he almost had like a similar style of play and, and this was such a, such a good team around him that to win 11 games, you know, was a great accomplishment, um, especially considering that Matt's career, you know, tailed off after a couple of years um, after he was traded to Kansas city. But I mean, he, for a while there, he was a, he was a pretty good player, but again, the five day game difference between, with the same team i I think speaks a lot to tom brady yeah
1: yeah
3: for some reason people want to always minimize you know what he's accomplished and maybe it's because you know he's won so much he's got a supermodel wife he's making a gazillion dollars the owner of new england loved him and treat him like a son um and they look at him as just kind of being an arrogant guy I, i got to know him really well when i was doing the book and uh i like him very much i do
1: yeah I think he's – I I don't know if I've ever seen somebody be as interesting while still seeming very bland, you know, Um, (laughs) because he has to – there is a bland side of him that that comes with just being able to grind. You know, part of being a great quarterback or part of being a great coach is just being able to grind and work at the same thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, when you get down to the deeper surfaces of him and you see – You know, in some of the interviews that you've done with him in your podcast um, and you see elsewhere, he's a fascinating individual. And he's just like anybody else that accomplishes incredible things in life. There's there's just something different about him that that uh, that that maybe does just spawn a lot of jealousy.
3: You know, Seth, um, I thought he was really forthcoming with me when I did my book, especially when he was talking about his relationship with Belichick. I mean, he didn't cover up the fact at all that they have no personal relationship. Um, that it was all football, and uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. In the middle of his career, he was willing to to say those things, um, and I, I would say the interview I did with him, which you know, spanned about an hour. We drove from Gillette Stadium to where he was living in in downtown Boston at the time. I thought it was the best interview anybody had ever done with Brady, not because of me, but just because I thought he was really giving great answers, but. That's probably in second place now because if you heard the interview he did with Howard Stern in in May where it was uh, Tom Brady unleashed or whatever the expression would be and, you know, he was able to speak without worrying about cursing because it was satellite radio or whatever. And, and Stern has this way of getting guys to talk about things that you would, I wouldn't even think of asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but there is that side of Tom, and that's the side of Tom that his teammates have always loved. It's just the public hasn't seen him very much.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: He's been beloved uh by three, four generations of Patriot players over the 20 year 20 years that he was there. And and certainly he fit in perfectly in that Tampa locker room. I think guys were probably a little wary of walking up to him at first because this is Tom Brady, but he he really is just a regular guy who just loves playing football, but he can be tough on teammates. I mean, he's very demanding. He's tougher on teammates or, or as tough on teammates as Belichick is on the players as well.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting when you watch guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, especially, I think I don't, I don't know. And now I'm going to start sounding like an old guy. I don't know if younger players are going to have that same relationship with their quarterbacks. I think about, and I think about some of the great young quarterbacks right now, None of them necessarily have that personality of, of of a taskmaster. If you think about Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, um, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, I think they all pay attention to detail. I think I think they're all very very competitive, but I don't. And, and this isn't better or worse. I don't. They don't have that same kind of drill sergeant in them, do they?
3: Well, I think you need to win uh, championships to do that. So the only guy you mentioned right there that has is Mahomes. And because, th- I think this is interesting, because this is, was such a unique and strange year where the media was not allowed in practice, um, you know, other than the, the first 15 minutes and there was no locker room access, just Zoom calls. I don't know that the writers in Kansas City were privy to how, whether Patrick changed it all from Monday through Saturday, following the Super Bowl championship, if that, if he felt that gave him the um, the collateral or, you know, the stature to really get on his teammates, that maybe he didn't feel in the past. So I I don't know the answer to that, but of of these young quarterbacks that you, you mentioned, he's the one that would have the right to do it because he's won, he's been a league MVP, he's been a Super Bowl MVP, he's the face of the NFL right now. For Josh Allen to do this in his third year, coming off his first playoff victory just last week, and and you know, Deshaun Watson um, you know, hasn't gotten past the, the divisional round of the playoffs. I think you need to have that success before you can really maybe unleash your true personality in terms of how you try to lead the other players. I don't so, know how, what your feeling was, you know, as a player, how you felt quarterbacks. Um, and you were on the other side of the ball, but yeah, you know, where the quarterbacks, you know, felt inclined that they, they were an extension to that coach.
1: Well, I, you know, Mark Brunel was the best quarterback I played with on a team and, and Mark had, uh, you know, was competitive, but had more, a more laid back personality when it came to leading, um, you know, more, more along the lines of perhaps an Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that, or Brett Favre really. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. he spent time with Brett Favre up in green Bay. Um, so, but I did get to see those guys like Peyton Manning on the field, you know, across the line of scrimmage. And honestly, there were, t- there were times when I was kind of embarrassed for a guy when he jumped off sides and he got dressed oh, yeah. down in front of you. It's like watching somebody's, you know, it's like when you're a kid and, you're, and you're, your buddy's father is ripping into him right in front of you. You almost, you <laughs> just want to, you want to hide away. That's how I felt almost, but it was, it was kind of fun to watch. But yeah, that's, that's the right those guys have earned in the playoffs this is the astounding thing. We we're talking about Breeze versus Brady. And I was in my head, you know, you're trying to make some arguments and, and to, to, to raise Breeze up a little. But the really astounding record is that Breeze's overall postseason record is nine and eight. Uh, nothing to be ashamed of. Brady's postseason record is 31 and 11. I mean, that's that's an astoundingly successful playoff record. And I guess that's what I'm wondering about now is in the, in the playoffs, that's when it seemed like not just brady but also belichick really shined and bruce arians not the same type of coach as belichick but is this is this do you if do you expect tom brady to be like peak playoffs tom brady and especially he's coming in off of a four-game stretch where he was by far the best quarterback in the nfl the last four games 9.7 yards per attempt 14 passing touchdowns was his first over four games and uh, 1,700 passing yards in four games. Uh, Is he firing on all cylinders right now?
3: Well, I I think you also have to look at the quality of the competition, and all this has been coming off their bye week. You know, they played – let me see I can remember this – Atlanta, Detroit, Carolina, Atlanta, and Washington. Not exactly murderers row. Yeah. agree. But I I do think that you've seen – a change in the way he's played, and I think that bye week was the turning point in their in his relationship with Arians. Because if you remember, they went into the bye after back-to-back losses against the Rams and the Chiefs. He had gone one stretch over a three-game period where he missed twenty-two consecutive passes of twenty yards or more, and many people, including myself, and I did one of the episodes on my podcast about this, was. If anybody should have been changing their approach here, it should have been Arians adjusting to what helped Brady win six Super Bowls, not Brady adjusting to what helped Arians make one NFC Championship game yeah. as a head coach. Yeah. That I really thought you know the Arians wasn't buying in to what he bought, what he got with Brady when they signed him. I and mean, why would you want to change what's made the guy successful? Uh, And it's not that that Tom can't throw the deep ball because I think his arm is deceivingly strong. And I've heard Phil Simms saying the last couple of weeks, he thinks that Tom's throwing the ball as well as he ever has. And I agree with that. He's still got a lot of zip on it, but the deep passing game was not his game. Mm -hmm. It seems sometimes he was taking a five-step drop and just chucking it down the field. Uh, That has changed. And he's become much more comfortable uh, with that approach. And he is playing right now the best he's played all year, but the Saints defense for whatever reason has been the kryptonite to Brady and the Bucks offense this season. He played his two worst games of the year against the Saints as recently as November 8th where he threw some passes Seth, that I'd never seen him throw before where you know chucking it 15 yards down the field intentionally into the dirt uh just throwing not even jump balls down the field but passes that his guys had no chance of catching. I'm uh, this is not working but I don't know what happened in the bye week. Maybe they just said, "Okay, this is these are plays that are working, and these are plays that are killing us. Let's get rid of those plays. Let's use the ones that are working." And whatever they did has been working. But this is really the first quality opponent they're facing since that bye week.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, your podcast, the uh, the goat, Tom Brady. Uh, I've I've listened to the first two episodes. Uh, it's a fantastic format. I, I feel like it's. I feel like it's an audio book, really, because um, it's done that well. Except that you get the benefit of interviews and and what have you. Uh, are you uh, are you are you having fun with this? Is this? Um, did you ever expect that this is how you'd be presenting your material? Maybe five, six, seven years ago.
3: No, uh, not at all. In fact, I, this wasn't even my idea to do this. I, I got approached by a company called Diversion Podcasts and um they asked me if I want to turn my Brady Manning book into a podcast and i said yeah how many episodes do you want and they said oh, about 12 i said oh, that's a lot of episodes and then they turned it around and said let's just make this about brady and just focus on him he's probably one of the you know two or three big stories of the 2020 season so fortunately i saved all my tapes from my interviews um that i did for the brady manning book and It's one of the benefits of my wife calling me a junk collector. So I never (laughs) throw anything out. And uh, I was able to find those interviews fairly easily. And then it was a real challenge on how I wanted to do it. And I made it kind of a a retrospective on his career from his high school days until the day he signed with the Bucks. And I, I popped in the interviews here and there throughout the podcast of the interviews I did with Tom and Peyton and, um, Tony Dungy and Tom's father and Archie and teammates of both of them and I told the story of Tom's career and it was really a lot of fun. It was different than anything I had ever done. Each episode was about thirty minutes. It was a narrative where, again, I just kind of plugged in these interviews where it made sense. And uh, fortunately, the audio—I'd say about ninety-five percent of the audio was really good. A couple of that I did in restaurants, you know, look a little noisy, but yeah, um, it's it's really it. it it's something I never even thought about doing, but now that I've done it, I wanna do more. It's really a great outlet.
1: Yeah, it really is. I, and I think especially probably for a writer, and I know you writers spend a whole lot of time laboring over every every, every comma yeah. and every adjective and everything. It, it, I suppose it lets you cut loose a little bit and add a little bit more, like a little bit more spontaneity to it. Cause you can you can accentuate your writing with the audio.
3: Yeah, but you know what? Each episode was approximately 3,000 words of writing. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, without the commercials, each one was about a half an hour. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't like I'm sitting here with you now and we're just, you know, whatever you want to ask me, fine, I'll answer it, and you're, you're doing follow-up questions. This this was me and these interviews that I had already done, and so I, I had to sit down and write each episode, and I tried not to read it because you can tell when somebody's reading it.
1: Yeah.
3: But you, you try to memorize 3,000 words. It's impossible. <laughs> so I'd be sitting there with the script. And I would I'd try to remember, you know, I read it over a couple of times before I did it. So I knew what was coming next. And I tried to just do it without really reading it, but saying what I had written. So it sounded more conversational. Yeah. It's very hard to duplicate the conversation that you and I are having right now because this is just a conversation. Uh, If I did a half an hour of just, say, interviewing Brady on the podcast, it would be all spontaneous, but because I was just using pre-recorded interviews, it was different. Now, the one exception was I did about 15 minutes with Jim Nance, who knows Brady really well, and just told me some great stories. Instead of just using bits and pieces of that interview, I just ran it straight through. Mm-hmm. So it does sound like a conversation. And, and that was a lot of fun, too. I,
1: I think you'll, uh, I, I bet you'll start experimenting with a lot. I just read a book by David Goggins, who's a retired Navy SEAL. Um, And I actually read the book and then listened to the audio because there were some things I wanted to just kind of reemphasize. It's it's very motivational book. But when they did the audio book, he sat down and basically did a podcast episode after each uh chapter so there's a discussion after each chapter or sometimes within the chapter if it was a very poignant moment. Oh that, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So it was almost it was almost like he was commentating his own book. Uh it was really uh it was really well done. Well I really appreciate it, Gary. Uh everybody go out, read the book, uh Brady versus Manning. I read How about Them Cowboys, which is a very good book, but I felt dirty the whole time reading it um and enjoying it because I <laughs> like most red-blooded good Americans, I there's certain parts about the Cowboys I just don't like. <laughs> but really appreciate it gary I especially i kept you a little bit longer than i said i would
3: hey Seth, if i can just mention that if, yeah. if people are interested in hearing the podcast you you get an apple or or wherever you know you subscribe to podcasts it's it's readily available and yep. i appreciate you having me on i enjoyed this
1: yeah it's the goat tom brady um and it's very easy I, just, I was listening to it i listened to it on itunes but uh it's on all the other major right. platforms and whatnot my pleasure man